0: part two of vindication of the rights of men by mary wollstonecraft this librivox recording is in the public domain you have shown sir by your silence on these subjects that your respect for rank has swallowed up the common feelings of humanity you seem to consider the poor as only the livestock of an estate the feather of hereditary nobility when you had so little respect for the silent majesty of misery i am not surprised at your manner of treating an individual whose brow a mitre will never grace and whose popularity may have wounded your vanity for vanity is ever for, even in france sir before the revolution literary celebrity procured a man the treatment of a gentleman but you are going back for your credentials of politeness to more distant times gothic affability is the mode you think proper to adopt the condescension of a baron not the civility of a liberal man politeness is indeed the only substitute for humanity or what distinguishes the civilized man from the unlettered savage and he who is not governed by reason should square his behavior by an arbitrary standard but by what rule your attack on dr price was regulated we have yet to learn i agree with you sir that the pulpit is not the place for political discussions though it might be more excusable to enter on such a subject when the day was set apart merely to commemorate a political revolution and no stated duty was encroached upon i will however waive this point and allow that dr price's zeal may have carried him further than sound reason can justify i do also most cordially coincide with you that till we can see the remote consequences of things present calamities must appear in the ugly form of evil and excite our commiseration the good that time slowly educes from them may be hid from mortal eye or dimly seen whilst sympathy compels man to feel for man and almost restrains the hand that would amputate a limb to save the whole body but after making this concession allow me to expostulate with you and calmly hold up the glass which will show you your partial feelings in reprobating dr price's opinions you might have spared the man and if you had had but half as much reverence for the grey hairs of virtue as for the accidental distinctions of rank you would not have treated with such indecent familiarity and supercilious contempt a member of the community whose talents and modest virtues place him high in the scale of moral excellence i am not accustomed to look up with vulgar awe even when mental superiority exalts a man above his fellows but still the sight of a man whose habits are fixed by piety and reason and whose virtues are consolidated into goodness commands my homage and i should touch his errors with a tender hand when i made a parade of my sensibility granting for a moment that dr price's political opinions are utopian reveries and that the world is not yet sufficiently civilized to adopt such a sublime system of morality they could however only be the reveries of a benevolent mind tottering on the verge of the grave that worthy man in his whole life never dreamt of struggling for power or riches and if a glimpse of the glad dawn of liberty rekindled the fire of youth in his veins you who could not stand the fascinating glance of a great lady's eyes when neither virtue nor sense beamed in them might have pardoned his unseemly transport if such it might be deemed I could almost fancy that i now see this respectable old man in his pulpit with hands clasped and eyes devoutly fixed praying with all the simple energy of unaffected piety or when more erect inculcating the dignity of virtue and enforcing the doctrines his life adorns benevolence animated each feature and persuasion attuned his accents the preacher grew eloquent who only laboured to be clear, and the respect that he extorted seemed only the respect due to personified virtue and matured wisdom. Is this the man you brand with so many opprobrious epithets, he whose private life will stand the test of the strictest inquiry, away with such unmanly sarcasms and puerile conceits? but before i close this part of my animadversons i must convict you of wilful misrepresentation and wanton abuse dr price when he reasons on the necessity of men attending some place of public worship concisely obviates an objection that has been made in the form of an apology by advising those who do not approve of our liturgy and cannot find any mode of worship out of the church in which they can conscientiously join to establish one for themselves this plain advice you have tortured into a very different meaning and represented the preacher as actuated by a dissenting frenzy recommending dissensions not to diffuse truth but to spread contradictions a simple question will silence this impertinent declamation what is truth a few fundamental truths meet the first inquiry of reason and appear as clear to an unwarped mind as that air and bread are necessary to enable the body to fulfil its vital functions but the opinions which men discuss with so much heat must be simplified and brought back to first principles or who can discriminate the vagaries of the imagination or scrupulosity of weakness from the verdict of reason let all these points be demonstrated and not determined by arbitrary authority and dark traditions lest a dangerous supineness should take place for probably in ceasing to inquire our reason would remain dormant and delivered up without a curb to every impulse of passion we might soon lose sight of the clear light which the exercise of our understanding no longer kept alive to argue from experience it would seem as if the human mind averse to thought could only be opened by necessity for when it can take opinions on trust it gladly lets the spirit lie quiet in its gross tenement perhaps the most improving exercise of the mind confining the argument to the enlargement of the understanding is the restless inquiries that hover on the boundary or stretch over the dark abyss of uncertainty these lively conjectures are the breezes that preserve the still lake from stagnating we should be aware of confining all moral excellence to one channel however capacious or if we are so narrow-minded we should not forget how much we owe to chance that our inheritance was not mahometism and that the iron hand of destiny in the shape of deeply rooted authority has not suspended the sword of destruction over our heads but to return to the misrepresentation blackstone to whom mr burke pays great deference seems to agree with dr price that the succession of the king of great britain depends on the choice of the people or that they have a power to cut it off but this power as you have fully proved has been cautiously exerted and might with more propriety be termed a right than a power be it so yet when you elaborately cited precedents to show that our forefathers paid great respect to hereditary claims you might have gone back to your favourite epoch and shown their respect for a church that fulminating laws have since loaded with opprobrium the preponderance of inconsistencies when weighed with precedents, should lessen the most bigoted veneration for antiquity and force men of the eighteenth century to acknowledge that our canonized forefathers were unable or afraid to revert to reason without resting on the crutch of authority and should not be brought as a proof that their children are never to be allowed to walk alone when we doubt the infallible wisdom of our ancestors it is only advancing on the same ground to doubt the sincerity of the law and the propriety of that servile appellation our sovereign lord the king who were the dictators of this adulatory language of the law were they not courtly parasites and worldly priests besides whoever at divine service whose feelings were not deadened by habit or their understandings quiescent ever repeated without horror the same epithets applied to a man and his creator if this is confused jargon say what are the dictates of sober reason or the criterion to distinguish nonsense you further sarcastically animadvert on the consistency of the democratists by resting the obvious meaning of a common phrase the dregs of the people or your contempt for poverty may have led you into an error be that as it may an unprejudiced man would have directly perceived the single sense of the word and an old member of parliament could scarcely have missed it he who had so often felt the pulse of the electors needed not have gone beyond his own experience to discover that the dregs alluded to were the vicious and not the lower class of the community again sir i must doubt your sincerity or your discernment you have been behind the curtain and though it might be difficult to bring back your sophisticated heart to nature and make you feel like a man yet the awe-struck confusion in which you were plunged must have gone off when the vulgar emotion of wonder excited by finding yourself a senator had subsided then you must have seen the clogged wheels of corruption continually oiled by the sweat of the laborious poor squeezed out of them by unceasing taxation you must have discovered that the majority in the house of commons was often purchased by the crown and that the people were oppressed by the influence of their own money extorted by the venal voice of a packed representation you must have known that a man of merit cannot rise in the church the army or navy unless he has some interest in a borough and that even a paltry exciseman's place can only be secured by electioneering interest. I will go further and assert that few bishops, though there have been learned and good bishops, have gained the mitre without submitting to a servility of dependence that degrades the man. All these circumstances you must have known, yet you talk of virtue and liberty as the vulgar talk of the letter of the law and the polite of propriety. It is true that these ceremonial observances produce decorum. The sepulchres are whitewashed, and do not offend the squeamish eyes of high rank. But virtue is out of the question when you only worship a shadow, and worship it to secure your property. Man has been termed with strict propriety a microcosm, a little world in himself. He is so, yet must however be reckoned an ephemera or to adopt your figure of rhetoric a summer's fly the perpetuation of property in our families is one of the privileges you most warmly contend for yet it would not be very difficult to prove that the mind must have a very limited range that thus confines its benevolences to such a narrow circle which with great propriety may be included in the sordid calculations of blind self-love a brutal attachment to children has appeared most conspicuous in parents who have treated them like slaves and demanded due homage for all the property they transferred to them during their lives It has led them to force their children to break the most sacred ties, to do violence to a natural impulse, and run into legal prostitution to increase wealth or shun poverty. And still worse, the dread of parental malediction has made many weak characters violate truth in the face of heaven, and to avoid a father's angry curse, the most sacred promises have been broken it appears to be a natural suggestion of reason that a man should be freed from implicit obedience to parents and private punishments when he is of an age to be subject to the jurisdiction of the laws of his country and that the barbarous cruelty of allowing parents to imprison their children to prevent their contaminating their noble blood by following the dictates of nature when they chose to marry or for any misdemeanour that does not come under the cognizance of public justice is one of the most arbitrary violations of liberty who can recount all the unnatural crimes which the laudable interesting desire of perpetuating a name has produced the younger children have been sacrificed to the eldest son sent into exile or confined in convents that they might not encroach on what was called with shameful falsehood the family estate will mr burke call this parental affection reasonable or virtuous no it is the spurious offspring of overweening mistaken pride and not that first source of civilization natural parental affection that makes no difference between child and child but what reason justifies by pointing out superior merit another pernicious consequence which unavoidably arises from this artificial affection is the insuperable bar which it puts in the way of early marriages it would be difficult to determine whether the minds or bodies of our youth are most injured by this impediment our young men become selfish coxcombs and gallantry with modest women and intrigues with those of another description weaken both mind and body before either has arrived at maturity the character of a master of a family a husband and a father forms the citizen imperceptibly by producing a sober manliness of thought and orderly behaviour but from the lax morals and depraved affections of the libertine what results a finical man of taste who is only anxious to secure his own private gratifications and to maintain his rank in society the same system has an equally pernicious effect on female morals girls are sacrificed to family convenience or else marry to settle themselves in a superior rank and coquette without restraint with the fine gentlemen whom I have already described, and to such lengths has this vanity, this desire of shining, carried them, that it is not now necessary to guard girls against imprudent love-matches, for if some widows did not now and then fall in love, love and hymen would seldom meet unless at a village church i do not intend to be sarcastically paradoxical when i say that women of fashion take husbands that they may have it in their power to coquette and grand business of genteel life with a number of admirers and thus flutter the spring of life away without laying up any store for the winter of age or being of any use to society affection in the marriage state can only be founded on respect and are these weak beings respectable children are neglected for lovers and we express surprise that adulteries are so common a woman never forgets to adorn herself to make an impression on the senses of the other sex and to extort the homage which it is gallant to pay and yet we wonder that they have such confined understandings have ye not heard that we cannot serve two masters an immoderate desire to please contracts the faculties and emerges to borrow the idea of a great philosopher the soul in matter till it becomes unable to mount on the wing of contemplation it would be an arduous task to trace all the vice and misery that arise in society from the middle class of people aping the manners of the great all are aiming to procure respect on account of their property and most places are considered as sinecures that enable men to start into notice the great concern of three parts out of four is to contrive to live above their equals and to appear to be richer than they are how much domestic comfort and private satisfaction is sacrificed to this irrational ambition it is a destructive mildew that blights the fairest virtues benevolence friendship generosity and all those endearing charities which bind human hearts together and the pursuits which raise the mind to higher contemplations all that were not cankered in the bud by the false notions that grew with its growth and strengthened with its strength are crushed by the iron hand of property property i do not scruple to aver it should be fluctuating which would be the case if it were more equally divided amongst all the children of a family else it is an everlasting rampart in consequence of a barbarous feudal institution that enables the elder son to overpower talents and depress virtue besides an unmanly servility most inimical to true dignity of character is by this means fostered in society men of some abilities play on the follies of the rich and mounting to fortune as they degrade themselves they stand in the way of men of superior talents who cannot advance in such crooked paths or wade through the filth which parasites never boggle at pursuing their way straightforward their spirit is either bent or broken by the rich man's contumelies or the difficulties they have to encounter the only security of property that nature authorizes and reason sanctions is the right a man has to enjoy the acquisitions which his talents and industry have acquired and to bequeath them to whom he chooses happy would it be for the world if there were no other road to wealth or honour if pride in the shape of parental affection did not absorb the man and prevent friendship from having the same weight as relationship luxury and effeminacy would not then introduce so much idiotism into the noble families which form one of the pillars of our state the ground would not lie fallow nor would undirected activity of mind spread the contagion of restless idleness and its concomitant vice through the whole mass of society instead of gaming they might nourish a virtuous ambition and love might take place of the gallantry which you with knightly fealty venerate women would probably then act like mothers and the fine lady become a rational woman might think it necessary to superintend her family and suckle her children in order to fulfil her part of the social compact but vain is the hope whilst great masses of property are hedged round by hereditary honours for numerous vices forced in the hotbed of wealth assume a sightly form to dazzle the senses and cloud the understanding the respect paid to rank and fortune damps every generous purpose of the soul and stifles the natural affections on which human contentment ought to be built who will venturously ascend the steeps of virtue or explore the great deep for knowledge when the one thing needful attained by less arduous exertions if not inherited procures the attention man naturally pants after and vice loses half its evil by losing all its grossness what a sentiment to come from a moral pen a surgeon would tell you that by skinning over a wound you spread disease through the whole frame and surely they indirectly aim at destroying all purity of morals who poison the very source of virtue by smearing a sentimental varnish over vice to hide its natural deformity stealing whoring and drunkenness are gross vices i presume though they may not obliterate every moral sentiment and have a vulgar brand that makes them appear with all their native deformity but overreaching adultery and coquetry are venial offences though they reduce virtue to an empty name and make wisdom consist in saving appearances on this scheme of things a king is but a man a queen is but a woman a woman is but an animal and an animal not of the highest order all true sir if she is not more attentive to the duties of humanity than queens and fashionable ladies in general are i will still further accede to the opinion you have so justly conceived of the spirit which begins to animate this age all homage paid to the sex in general as such and without distinct views is to be regarded as romance and folly undoubtedly because such homage vitiates them prevents their endeavouring to obtain solid personal merit and in short makes those beings vain inconsiderate dolls who ought to be prudent mothers and useful members of society regicide and sacrilege are but fictions of superstition corrupting jurisprudence by destroying its simplicity the murder of a king or a queen or a bishop are only common homicide. again i agree with you but you perceive sir that by leaving out the word father i think the whole extent of the comparison invidious you further proceed grossly to misrepresent dr price's meaning and with an affectation of holy fervour express your indignation at his profaning a beautiful rapturous ejaculation when alluding to the king of france's submission to the national assembly he rejoiced to hail a glorious revolution which promised an universal diffusion of liberty and happiness observe sir that i called your piety affectation a rant to enable you to point your venomous dart and round your period i speak with warmth because of all hypocrites my soul most indignantly spurns a religious one and i very cautiously bring forward such a heavy charge to strip you of your cloak of sanctity your speech at the time the bill for a regency was agitated now lies before me then you could in direct terms to promote ambitious or interested views exclaim without any pious qualms ought they to make a mockery of him putting a crown of thorns on his head a reed in his hand and dressing him in a raiment of purple cry hail king of the british where was your sensibility when you could utter this cruel mockery equally insulting to god and man go hence thou slave of impulse look into the private recesses of thy heart and take not a mote from thy brother's eye till thou hast removed the beam from thine own of your own partial feelings i shall take another view and show that following nature which is you say wisdom without reflection and above it has led you into great inconsistencies to use the softest phrase when on a late melancholy occasion a very important question was agitated with what indecent warmth did you treat a woman for i shall not lay any stress on her title whose conduct in life has deserved praise though not perhaps the servile elogiums which have been lavished on the queen but sympathy and you tell us that you have a heart of flesh was made to give way to party spirit and the feelings of a man, not to allude to your romantic gallantry, to the views of the statesman. When you descanted on the horrors of the sixth of October, and gave a glowing and, in some instances, a most exaggerated description of that infernal night, without having troubled yourself to clean your palate, you might have returned home, and indulged us with a sketch of the misery you personally aggravated. With what eloquence might you not have insinuated that the sight of unexpected misery and strange reverses of fortune makes the mind recoil on itself, and pondering traced the uncertainty of all human hope, the frail foundation of sublunary grandeur? What a climax lay before you! A father torn from his children, a husband from an affectionate wife, a man from himself, and not torn by the resistless stroke of death, for time would then have lent its aid to mitigate remediless sorrow. But that living death, which only kept hope alive in the corroding form of suspense, was a calamity that called for all your pity. The sight of august ruins of a depopulated country, what are they to a disordered soul?' When all the faculties are mixed in wild confusion. It is then indeed we tremble for humanity, and if some wild fancy chance to cross the brain, we fearfully start, and pressing our hand against our brow, ask if we are yet men, if our reason is undisturbed, if judgment hold the helm. Marius might sit with dignity on the ruins of Carthage, and the wretch in the Bastille, who longed in vain to see the human face divine, might yet view the operations of his own mind, and vary the leaden prospect by new combinations of thought. Poverty, shame, and even slavery may be endured by the virtuous man he has still a world to range in, but the loss of reason appears a monstrous flaw in the moral world that eludes all investigation and humbles without enlightening in this state was the king when you with unfeeling disrespect and indecent haste wished to strip him of all his hereditary honours you were so eager to taste the sweets of power that you could not wait till time had determined whether a dreadful delirium would settle into a confirmed madness but prying into the secrets of omnipotence you thundered out that god had hurled him from his throne and that it was the most insulting mockery to recollect that he had been a king or to treat him with any particular respect on account of his former dignity and who was the monster whom heaven had thus awfully deposed and smitten with such an angry blow surely as harmless a character as louis the sixteenth and the queen of great britain though her heart may not be enlarged by generosity who will presume to compare her character with that of the queen of france where then was the infallibility of that extolled instinct which rises above reason was it warped by vanity or hurled from its throne by self-interest to your own heart answer these questions in the sober hours of reflection and after reviewing this gust of passion learn to respect the sovereignty of reason i have sir been reading with a scrutinizing comparative eye several of your insensible and profane speeches during the king's illness i disdain to take advantage of a man's weak side or draw consequences from an unguarded transport a lion preys not on carcasses but on this occasion you acted systematically it was not the passion of the moment over which humanity draws a veil no what but the odious maxims of machiavellian policy could have led you to have searched in the very dregs of misery for forcible arguments to support your party had not vanity or interest steeled your heart you might have been shocked at the cold insensibility which could carry a man to those dreadful mansions where human weakness appears in its most awful form to calculate the chances against the king's recovery impressed as you are with respect for royalty i am astonished that you did not tremble at every step lest heaven should avenge on your guilty head the insult offered to its vice-regent but the conscience that is under the direction of transient ebullitions of feeling is not very tender or consistent when the current runs another way had you been in a philosophizing mood had your heart or your reason been at home you might have been convinced by ocular demonstration that madness is only the absence of reason the ruling angel leaving its seat wild anarchy ensues you would have seen that the uncontrolled imagination often pursues the most regular course in its most daring flight and that the eccentricities are boldly relieved when judgment no longer officiously arranges the sentiments by bringing them to the test of principles you would have seen everything out of nature in that strange Chaos of levity and ferocity, and of all sorts of follies jumbled together. You would have seen in that monstrous tragicomic scene the most opposite passions necessarily succeed and sometimes mix with each other in the mind. Alternate contempt and indignation, alternate laughter and tears, alternate scorn and horror. This is a true picture of that chaotic state of mind. Called madness, when reason gone, we know not where, the wild elements of passion clash, and all is horror and confusion. You might have heard the best turned conceits, flash following flash, and doubted whether the rhapsody was not eloquent if it had not been delivered in an equivocal language neither verse nor prose if the sparkling periods had not stood alone wanting force because they wanted concatenation it is a proverbial observation that a very thin partition divides wit and madness poetry therefore naturally addresses the fancy and the language of passion is with great felicity borrowed from the heightened picture which the imagination draws of sensible objects concentred by impassioned reflection and during this fine frenzy reason has no right to rein in the imagination unless to prevent the introduction of supernumerary images if the passion is real the head will not be ransacked for stale tropes and cold rhodomontade i now speak of the genuine enthusiasm of genius which perhaps seldom appears but in the infancy of civilization for as this light becomes more luminous reason clips the wing of fancy the youth becomes a man whether the glory of europe is set i shall not now inquire but probably the spirit of romance and chivalry is in the wane and reason will gain by its extinction from observing several cold romantic characters i have been led to confine the term romantic to one definition false or rather artificial feelings works of genius are read with a prepossession in their favour and sentiments imitated because they were fashionable and pretty and not because they were forcibly felt in modern poetry the understanding and memory often fabricate the pretended effusions of the heart and romance destroys all simplicity which in works of taste is but a synonymous word for truth this romantic spirit has extended to our prose and scattered artificial flowers over the most barren heath or a mixture of verse and prose producing the strangest incongruities the turgid bombast of some of your periods fully proves these assertions for when the heart speaks we are seldom shocked by hyperbole or dry raptures i speak in this decided tone because from turning over the pages of your late publication with more attention than i did when i first read it cursorily over and comparing the sentiments it contains with your conduct on many important occasions i am led very often to doubt your sincerity and to suppose that you have said many things merely for the sake of saying them well or to throw some pointed obloquy on characters and opinions that jostled with your vanity it is an arduous task to follow the doublings of cunning or the subterfuges of inconsistency for in controversy as in battle the brave man wishes to face his enemy and fight on the same ground knowing however the influence of a ruling passion and how often it assumes the form of reason when there is much sensibility in the heart i respect an opponent though he tenaciously maintain opinions in which i cannot coincide but if i once discover that many of those opinions are empty rhetorical flourishes my respect is soon changed into that pity which borders on contempt and the mock dignity and haughty stalk only reminds me of the ass in the lion's skin a sentiment of this kind glanced across my mind when i read the following exclamation whilst the royal captives who followed in the train were slowly moved along amidst the horrid yells and shrilling screams and frantic dances and infamous contumelies and all the unutterable abominations of the furies of hell in the abused shape of the vilest of women probably you mean women who gained a livelihood by selling vegetables or fish who never had had any advantages of education or their vices might have lost part of their abominable deformity by losing part of their grossness the queen of france the great and small vulgar claim our pity they have almost insuperable obstacles to surmount in their progress towards true dignity of character still i have such a plain downright understanding that i do not like to make a distinction without a difference but it is not very extraordinary that you should for throughout your letter you frequently advert to a sentimental jargon which has long been current in conversation and even in books of morals though it never received the regal stamp of reason a kind of mysterious instinct is supposed to reside in the soul that instantaneously discerns truth without the tedious labour of ratiocination. this instinct for i know not what other name to give it has been termed common sense and more frequently sensibility and by a kind of indefeasible right it has been supposed, for rights of this kind are not easily proved, to reign paramount over the other faculties of the mind, and to be an authority from which there is no appeal. This subtle magnetic fluid that runs round the whole circle of society is not subject to any known rule or to use an obnoxious phrase in spite of the sneers of mock humility or the timid fears of some well-meaning christians who shrink from any freedom of thought lest they should rouse the old serpent to the eternal fitness of things it dips we know not why granting it to be an infallible instinct and though supposed always to point to truth its pole-star the point is always shifting and seldom stands due north. It is to this instinct without doubt that you allude when you talk of the moral constitution of the heart. To it I allow, for I consider it as a congregate of sensations and passions, poets must apply, who have to deal with an audience not yet graduated in the school of the rights of men they must it is clear often cloud the understanding whilst they move the heart by a kind of mechanical spring but that in the theatre the first intuitive glance of feeling should discriminate the form of truth and see her fair proportion i must beg leave to doubt sacred be the feelings of the heart concentred in a glowing flame they become the sun of life and without his invigorating impregnation, reason would probably lie in helpless inactivity, and never bring forth her only legitimate offspring, virtue. But to prove that virtue is really an acquisition of the individual, and not the blind impulse of unerring instinct, the bastard vice has often been begotten by the same father." in what respect are we superior to the brute creation if intellect is not allowed to be the guide of passion brutes hope and fear love and hate but without a capacity to improve a power of turning these passions to good or evil they neither acquire virtue nor wisdom why because the creator has not given them reason but the cultivation of reason is an arduous task and men of lively fancy, finding it easier to follow the impulses of passion, endeavour to persuade themselves and others that it is most natural. And happy is it for those who indolently let that heaven-lighted spark rest like the ancient lamps in sepulchres, that some virtuous habits, with which the reason of others shackled them, supplies its place." affection for parents, reverence for superiors or antiquity, notions of honour, or that worldly self-interest that shrewdly shows them that honesty is the best policy. All proceed from the reason for which they serve as substitutes, but it is reason at second hand. Children are born ignorant, consequently innocent the passions are neither good nor evil dispositions till they receive a direction and either bound over the feeble barrier raised by a faint glimmering of unexercised reason called conscience or strengthen her wavering dictates till sound principles are deeply rooted and able to cope with the headstrong passions that often assume her awful form what moral purpose can be answered by extolling good dispositions as they are called when these good dispositions are described as instincts for instinct moves in a direct line to its ultimate end and asks not for guide or support but if virtue is to be acquired by experience or taught by example reason perfected by reflection must be thy director of the whole host of passions which produce a fructifying heat but no light that you would exult into her place she must hold the rudder or let the wind blow which way it list the vessel will never advance smoothly to its destined port for the time lost in tacking about would dreadfully impede its progress End of part two.